a presentation of In Goal Magazine. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. I'm Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Welcome to episode seven, gentlemen. The first that we have a presenting sponsor, a title sponsor, Kevin Woodley. Take us through what just happened between episodes six and seven. Well, basically, we got together with uh, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, which is, it, it's kind of close to me. These guys are in my backyard, so uh, it's a store that I've gotten to know uh, quite well. Um, you know, it's the place you go to get your skate sharp. You know, we talked about that, how everybody has a guy that they trust and nobody else can do their skates. Uh, Cecil at the hockey shop is the guy that everyone in Vancouver trusts. People come from a long ways away by multiple sets of blades just so they can get him to do them all and then swap them out and not have to, even if they have to travel, not have to come back for a while. Um, they've got a goalie section in the basement that is an entire floor of the building. It's loaded. All the guys there, I think what I like the best is when I started playing goal, um, they have experts there. They have all guys who actually play the position, not just um, not just a bunch of high school kids in a big store that really know nothing about it. So real passionate. They know, they know the position. They're loaded with all this stuff. And I guess the big thing as a sponsor is they're local, so that's not going to help people from outside of the Vancouver area, but thehockeyshop.com can. Uh, it's that time of year where all the new gear is about to drop. CCM's E-Flex 4 lineup just came out last week. Um, we've got some photos up on social media at Ingle. Hockey Shop's already had it on the ice, already has a full overview online at thehockeyshop.com. It's not on the shelves for another couple of months. The good news is that means you can save on E-Flex 3. So we're going to go over that late, later in the show. We're going to go over the differences between E-Flex 4 and some of the highlights with the guys from the Hockey Shop, but also some of the deals you can get right now on eflex 3 if you're not quite ready to buck up for the brand new eflex 4 and part of the relationship with the hockey shop a source for sports is there's a new segment that we'll be implementing today and that's going to be a weekly gear segment that's right and the the beauty is so we'll talk to their experts because again um that's what i love about them whether you're shopping online uh doing a custom order or phoning in you're always talking to a goalie you never have to worry about not talking to somebody who knows. And Cam, who we'll talk to today, um, he goes to like he's he's been to the Lefebvre factory in Montreal. He goes to Bauer World. He's invited to all these things, so he knows what's going on behind the scenes with all the different brands. Um, and he's the guy you know who quite often will be the one helping you if you do an order. Uh, so we'll walk through the latest in the gear, but it's not just going to be talking to them. We're going to bring in NHL voices. Uh, talk to Merrick Mazanek. I talked to Pekarine about Speedskin and the difference it's made in their game uh, at the NHL level. So we'll incorporate sort of new gear tips, latest in gear. We'll talk to the guys at the hockey shop in that segment, but we'll also bring in NHL and pro voices about how they like their setup and why. Touch this little podcast growing up a little bit it sure is uh it's fun that it's happening so fast too uh we're it's just been great to see the responses online from from everybody uh we had a little bit of a hiccup as we know last week because everybody got busy with the trade deadline and hockey canada requirements and things like that so uh it was nice to see that people were reaching out wondering when that next episode was coming and uh fantastic to have uh the hockey shop source for sports on board now to to help us grow this 
the gear segment has always been something that uh, the three of us have uh, have wanted to make happen. So the timing is right, and we'll uh, debut that in this podcast in episode seven. We also have a conversation with New York Islander goaltender Robin Leonard coming up. The angle there is a little bit about angles and how much he's learned in his time on the island. We'll also catch up with one of hockey's most enjoyable personalities. And I say enjoyable because some people will jump on, and I just want to preface this, some people will jump on and go, well, obviously it's an enjoyable personality, but there can be bad personalities, there can be controversial personalities. This guy's just an enjoyable personality. Eddie the Stork, uh, we asked uh, for him to come on after he asked to come on. That's basically how this happened. <laughs> but uh, Eddie Lack is going to uh, stop by in just a little bit, and we'll also chat a little bit about uh, Vesna Trophy candidates and uh, who's in the mix as we head down this stretch drive of the National Hockey League season. So we have gear, we have a goaltender in the middle of rehab from hip surgery, and we have a Vesna Trophy candidate. Here is Robin Leonard of the New York Islanders talking about his team that's contending for a division title, chatting about, and I paraphrase here, goaltenders and cattle. And I mean that we all start moving in the same direction uh, once something new comes onto the scene. And also about how much he's grabbed onto in his first year on Long Island in conversation with Kevin Woodley. The problem with a goalie community, like I've seen it since uh, since, since I was young, like uh, back in the day before I uh, be, uh, before just when I broke into the league, you know it was Francois uh, Francois Allaire's time, you know, like yeah, Frankie, and he did a lot of. I I, I respect him. He's uh, one of the best. And but what happens is he he teaches this body illusion and uh, you know little blocking style look big. What happens is wow, it's a new it's a little bit of a new. Thing. Thing. The whole goalie community totally buys into it and overbites into it, and that's now all we got to do. Well, and I think and actually, that's what the goalie community does. They buy into one thing, and then they create it as their religion instead of putting it in a toolbox. And you see these days in NHL, you need to have a package of a lot of things. If, you, if you're a one-dimensional goalie, you know what? Come, come playoff time or come against teams who play, off, play a lot, pre-scouting and all these things that's happening – Create a game plan and you expose them. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's what's going to happen. It's goalies that can that can make up that has a lot of tools in the toolbox and can work really well structurally and strategically with their demon and with their team. Like there's so much more to goalie than how you push and how you how you move and how you. It's about reads. It's about uh, it's about feel. It's about just uh, the biggest thing for me this year is Mitch and uh, Piero has done a great great job for me I understand angles for the first time in my career I gotta be honest like they they've really broken down my angles in a way that no one else has before and that allows me that I'm I've never been so good in position that I am this year I'm in position on every uh, on almost every puck and with a big guy like me and now when I'm in position without thinking about it I can now strategize and read at the same time as I'm in position. So it's calmed my game down a lot. I don't have to move so much back and forth. They, they've really, really helped me with my positioning. Uh, small, small movements, uh, but I don't move as much. Like 
we, we, we do it every day. Every day, every day before practice, we do angle angle drills. That's that's all we do, and getting it, being in the middle of the net, uh, uh, being in the middle of the net, how, how to make saves, how to lean into pucks, and... Um, and one of the other things that we really worked on, I think I was good at it before, but putting a game plan and a like strategy for uh, screen plays, because majority of the shots these days, in my opinion, is through 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 traffic. So if you don't have a good traffic uh, strategy, you're screwed in this league. So and it involves your teammates too, right? Like yeah, inside and what yeah, the no, it's is. definitely with with the demon and all this stuff. Like we have a really like. If there's a flank shot or someone attacking from the from the sides, my demon knows that they're covering the far side of the net and I have the inside of the net. That's 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 our assignments. So now I know I can never I I do, am not allowed to get beat on the inside. That mean, but I also know that my D is gonna have the far side. So that even if I have to take another step to my to my left, if he comes down on the on the on the on the right side, and I'm opening up a little bit too much on my far side, yeah. that's fine because I'm gonna trust my demon. But I also, it also the guy that's in front of me is a screening. If I can take another step to my uh, to my left and be uh, and be confident with that. I'm gonna see pucks all the time, and I'm just gonna focus on. I'm, even even if someone comes in and try to go bar and in on my short side, I know that they only have this side, so it's gonna be so much easier to react to. Because you're not trying to take away everything. No, but if you take an example, if you're in a warm, say in warm ups, and you have a guy just shooting shoot uh, uh, shooting at you, say he takes 20 pucks and I'll shoot five gloves, shoot five blocker. Are you ever gonna get beat? No, you know where the puck is gonna come. That why, where reactions fails is when a guy is in the middle of the uh, middle of the middle of the net and he can shoot anywhere. Because then you got to process and then react. If you know where the shot's gonna come, you don't have to process. You're just gonna react to it. So it's uh, having a strategy and a game plan and and really have a game plan through traffic and how to look over them, how to still be in balance. You know, be calm and be in balance. I'm, it, it, it helps your game tremendously. You're so used to getting the cliche answers when you walk into a professional sports dressing room. It's refreshing from Robin Leonard. And after everything that he's been to, been through, maybe maybe we should expect it. But the angles part of it shocked me. Uh, the the reference to everybody gets caught up and moving in the same direction, and we we get blinders on the cattle call. And and then puck tracking. So uh, I'll leave it up to you, Woodley. What what really grabbed you out of this conversation with Robin Liner? Well, for starters, you want to know how much m- more refreshing it is. That's game day. That's uh, and that's that's a couple minutes out of about a seventeen minute conversation that he pulls me aside to have on a game. Was day. he playing? He played that night against the Vancouver wow. Canucks. Uh, got his fourth shutout, which is a career high for a single season that night. Um, I'd be honest with you. I didn't expect it. Uh, I had tried to, um, hook up with him the day before on an off day, but you know, it's an off day. So it's tougher to do for them. They were coming off back to back in Alberta and I really didn't expect I kind of thought I really wanted to write a story about the changes in his game. We all know about the changes in his life. I wanted to write a story about the changes in his game and I didn't expect to get that time. Um, but Robin just told the PR staff that, Hey, we're going to sit down and chat. We typically do. 
Um, I'm good with it. And we just talked for a long time like that. And so, yeah, that's, it, it is refreshing, but that that's Robin. That's, that's nothing to do with the change in, in everything else going on in his life. He's always been like that. We've had those conversations every time he visits. Um, the part that jumps out to me, and frankly, I had to go back after the game and clarify was angles. Uh, when he talked about angles, I'm like, what? I listened to it afterwards and I was like, angles, like, how do you not know whether you're in the middle of the net? That's how I thought yeah. of angle, right? Like you're in the NHL and, and that's not what he meant. What he meant, you know, to me, angle is both position and in his words, squareness. And he had the position. He knew how to be in the middle of the net. Um, he had no rotation in his game as it retreated. So trying to explain this on radio, imagine if you started facing parallel to the goal line at the top of your crease square to the to the middle of the ice so you're up top of the, your crease as he retreated to his post he would sort of drift back in a straight line and he would end up what we call flat off angle so he would stay in terms of his body position he would move it up and down the crease to be in the middle of the net that part of angle but he'd get no rotation towards the puck so as it came down the wing or into the corner he would get flatter and flatter along his goal line. And as you know, as you lose squareness, that part of angle, you get smaller, you open holes. I mean, it's just, it. you're not square to the puck. And so that's okay. So changed. just just to clarify, you're par- I'm thinking hips and shoulders are parallel to the goal line. And that's what you mean by flattening it, it, out? Exactly, exactly. Okay. R- rather than as that play comes down the wing, getting rotation as you move down towards your post. And now if you watch Robin, and, and actually if you have a chance to watch him in a game, go watch his warm-up before each period or before the game. He'll start at the corner of his crease, and that's kind of become home base for him. He talked about it in the story. Even against the rush, he used to have a lot more flow to his game. Even against the rush, he's not coming out much further than that. And from the top of his crease, you know, from the top down, so that's where we talk about tracking, in terms of starting those movements with the head, he builds that rotation. And with two short shuffles, He's at that post and he's maintaining that squareness, as you said, Darren, with the hips, with the shoulders, probably actually with the shoulders first and then with the hips as he comes down to the post and it's two quick movements. And if you watch him in warmups, uh, you watch him before the game in the, in, in the pregame warmup, you'll see him sort of go through those movements. And if you watch his game now, um, I mean, he's square all the time and he's big and he, he's playing a much more efficient, effective game. And then he still has that ability to go outside the box. I mean, we saw him in the Vancouver game. He joked about it afterwards. He made a two-pad stack save on a backdoor rebound. And, uh, you know, we were chuckling about it in the locker room. Like, he went old school, and he just laughed. He says, I told you, I'm not like other goalies. So um, it's not he's not stuck in a box, but he's got better structure at the foundation of his game positionally right now. You add that with their system, no odd man rushes. They don't give up many under Barry Trotz. That's a big difference. And the other thing Laner talked about that we can get into uh, screens. He talked about it there. Guys, like a system for screens. Screens are not find the puck and figure it out. Screens are a system with your defenseman. They take the middle of the ice. I take the short side or vice versa. Mo- most teams, it's short side. And there's a trust built in through repetition that this is my part of the net on the screen and you're going to make sure you box out or you, the way you position yourself against the guy doing the screen is on that side of the net. So I only sort of have to worry about half of it would love to get into that in depth and that sounds like a fantastic teaching segment to get into but just let me be the voice of 
all all the people who were screaming inside their heads listening to uh, Robin Can't Stay Square. Uh, how does that happen, Kevin? Because five and six year olds are taught to to move in a semicircle around their crease. You're obviously talking about some precision to his movement and and the way that he's executing that. But the fact that it was fundamentally missing, uh, how do you make it to the NHL with something like that missing? I think probably it's just a, a, a function of the natural talent that Robin's always had. Um, we've talked about it in the past that uh, there's a reliance at sometimes on that natural gift versus refining it. Um, his ability to sort of play with flow and play differently uh, was something like he excelled at times playing his way. And so, um, you know, to him that way was a lot of flow and there's a lot more sliding, whereas now he's beating everything on his skates. And so I don't think this is in any way a function of other goalie coaches not recognizing those things or not trying to change them. This is just Robin was so good with those other elements I talked about um, that he was able to sort of get away with this. And, you know, sometimes there's a give and take there uh, with the goalie and the goalie coaches in, in terms of making changes like that. I think the other thing, too, is a lot of people forget um, – and, and this is what is maybe most impressive about the things he's changed this season is he's done it for the most part in season. And that's not easy to do. Like a, a lot of times people are like, oh, I see this in this guy's game. Why can't we change it? Uh, you talk to goalie coaches around the league in the NHL, a lot of it at that level is just maintenance because once that season starts, you're balancing practice time. And this is where, to be honest, this is where the Islanders system with two goalies is perfect because they're playing both of them so that the other guy has time to keep sharp to continue to work on his game with the goalie coaches and and obviously it's Mitch Korn as the director of goaltending and uh, I think a lot of people forget Piero Greco doing a heck of a job as the on the ice every day day-to-day traveling with the team goalie coach as well so um, I think everybody knows that Mitch followed Barry to Long Island but don't overlook Piero Greco former Toronto Marlies goalie coach and the, the role he's played in all this as well. Couple of observations there uh, why now uh, Hutch you kind of referred to that after one and, and how does he get to the NHL? But but people may also be wondering why now does he does he adopt this? His career's at a crossroad coming into the season, and and he's he has to buy in. So well, I think there there you go. Yeah, and I think too, guys like sometimes we've talked about this with young goalies. Sometimes it takes a while for a young goaltender to find a message that sort of clicks for them that pulls everything together. Sometimes it takes a while to find that voice. And sometimes it takes a while before they're ready to make changes themselves and willing to accept that voice and those lessons. And uh, just to Hutch, play off the the cattle where he mentioned that everybody gets two the blinders on, too caught up in in the latest trend, and and they forget about everything else. And he, the versatility is obvious in in Robin's game. I think we're starting to see that with with more and more goaltenders now you talk about keeping shooters off balance because they've grown up with goaltenders playing a particular style and uh and now the shooters are learning to to adapt to that and in fact combat that with a little bit of deception on their own part as we've we've said on here before uh so guys have to throw different things in there now and uh and that pad stack kevin is a is a fantastic example of of throwing something in that's to keep people off balance and so that you're not so predictable in in a game that over the years has become all too predictable. Uh, we hear we hear the theme every year, of course, somebody wins the Stanley Cup and then everybody wants to remake their franchise after that team. Uh, it's a copycat game, copycat league. Uh, it's great to see a lot of individual style starting to come in from the crease. Well, I tell you what, I, this is what we call a tease. I'm, I'm learning, guys, I'm learning. 
But uh, our one of our guests next week, Frederick Anderson, one of the changes he's made in his game is certain angles post-play, dead angle play. Instead of playing each situation one way, they've worked really hard to groove multiple ways to integrate into his post, multiple ways to handle each situation, in part because it makes him tougher to pre-scout. And that's a big part of playoffs and breaking down playoff goaltenders. So he's throwing different looks on purpose in similar situations uh, and working hard to be able to master each one. Before we get too far uh, down this path, and I wanted to turn the corner to a great moment this week uh, in Carey Price, but screen strategy that, that Robin brought up. If, if you don't have time to work with the same guys every day, so you're, you're the, the 25-year-old just playing, what, what, is, what is your strategy or what should your strategy be uh, it's on a screen? Should it be to cheat to the forehand, to the, to the side of the, if it's a left-handed shot, you cheat to that side? Or what do you guys suggest? Oh, I would say, go ahead, Hutch. Well, I'm just going to say, I think it depends a little bit where the puck is on the ice, but I, I always picture the, the top corners of the net opening up as a, as a lane for somebody from the point to see. Um, I think quite often the defensemen are clogging up the middle, as Kevin alluded to there. Uh, so I'm thinking short side. I'm thinking usually a little bit higher because because guys are looking for an opening and it's it's what they can see. Uh, and I also think we often talk about the mental game, but you just you just can't ever forget that you have to keep battling. How often do you see a goaltender? And I'm not really talking the NHL here, obviously, but how how often do you see a goaltender in a situation like that sort of give up? And, uh, well, I can't see the puck. I'm just going to do my best to drop and block. And you've got to keep battling. Uh, you've you've got to find that puck at all costs. And it, it sounds crazy to, to, to have to, to mention that, but how many times do you see a goal scored? And then the hands just go up in the air, and I had no hope. So, so I'm thinking always battle, and I'm thinking those top corners are probably open, especially on a short guy like me. It sounds to me like we should have a – I'll get some NHL guests on here to talk about their screen strategies. But for the most part, the default at that level, and I think it makes sense at all levels, is short side. Um, if you have to pick a side around a screen, it, two reasons you pick the short side. One, it's the shortest path for the puck. Uh, the puck has to travel further to get to the far side, which buys you time. If, you, if you're cheating short side, looking to the short side, and you see it being shot to the far side, you have a, a little more time to shift by, versus vice versa. Second is, as Hutch said, at all levels, traffic is going to tend to funnel towards the middle of the net. So it's more likely to hit something and not get through to you in the middle versus on the short side. And again, not, not to the point where you're taking yourself out of the net, but if you're picking a side, you pick the short side. That's the Look default. to that side. I think McKenna did an article for us uh, on the website years ago about his screen strategy. Might be something we could refer to for everybody or put in the show notes. So should you pick a side? Is the worst thing in the world just to go down right in the middle? I think oh, well, it is I mean, today. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, in two parts. One, I mean, pick a side if you're if you if you can't see around the guy, if you if you're not tall enough to see over and around him for sure. Um, but yeah, just dropping behind him, you're basically taking up the same amount unless the shots coming right at him and you actually can pick it up and, and read that. The reality is you're now taking it's like double coverage with a blocker. Double or a glove. Coverage, yeah. You're taking up the same space he is now if the shot shots go in there. You shift there. But uh, just a uh, you know, panic drop on that side probably makes the least sense and i would say picking a side isn't you're putting your head there and it's not moving uh you're still battling you're still fighting that might just sort of be where you're spending most of your time and this is this is an easy conversation at the nhl level now yeah. we're at the point now where the guys who are screening are also cognizant of the fact they're trying to create moving screens and get you to 
drift to the short side even more, force you to almost choose to come back to the middle and then get out of the way on the short side. The amount of back and forth that goes on in this in the NHL level is fascinating and fun to watch. Hutch, are, are you watching what he's doing while, while he's explaining this whole thing? Oh, the fact like, that he needs to move his body to do this? Yeah, we're, we're recording this on Skype, and yeah. I'm, 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 we can all see each other, and I'm watching Woodley bounce around like he's looking around his microphone, like his <laughs> microphone the screen. If this recording ever sees the light of day, I quit. <laughs> uh, it might need to. It was fascinating. It that to. was great. Uh, uh, the, the the video that went viral, uh, Carrie Price, uh, with with the young man whose whose mother passed away, but promised that uh, that she would find a way or to for him to meet his hero and Carrie Price. It it was sensational. It was beautiful. The hug when he when he put his equipment down. Uh, Carrie put his equipment down. Uh, that's when it started with me. But uh, you guys, you guys know Carrie on a, on a very different level than than anybody else, really, uh, than than ninety five percent of the population. So just just take us through because this I'm this isn't a surprise to you guys. Not at no, all. No, no, no. Hutch, you've seen it. And I've seen it. We, we we do the and just so people know, like let's not pretend we're best buddies with them. We no. don't want to over <laughs> overstate it or anything like that. Don't you know? Don't want to pretend something that isn't. But the reality is, through uh, the Eli Wilson goalie schools, they have an annual day with price where you can uh, get in on an auction or win your way in to spend the day with Carrie. And that is, it's not just you know, it's not an autograph session. It is the entire day uh, in the locker room. These kids get dressed with him, get changed with him. Uh, he leads them through their warmups off the ice to get them ready to go on the ice. And then he leads them through drills on the ice, demos the drills, rotates through and, and coaches them. And whether it's in the locker room, uh, on the ice, at breakfast with them and the parents beforehand, um, this, this is who he is. What you saw in that video is who he is. And obviously different circumstances and heart-wrenching circumstances there. Uh, but me and Hutch have seen it. The way he is with kids especially, but even with parents, the first year. Nobody told him to do this, but after he's done the introductions at the breakfast table with the kids and the, he sends the kids up to get their food, he walks over and introduces himself to every parent in the room. They're kind of sitting in the back while the kids are at the head table with them. Hi, I'm Kerry Price. Thanks for coming. Like, you know, and, and we get his dad, Jerry, is there all the time. And, and basically, I guess what you see is this is a kid who's been brought up the right way. And it translates to how he treats other people. And we've been privileged to see that. And I'm not surprised at all by what I saw in the video. And Before you go, Hutch, yep. uh, just we, those of us that know Kerry as the athlete, the reporter, the commentator, the fan, don't see that side. We see him as as reserved, almost uh, not antisocial, but uh, but certainly not the most sociable guy in the world. Like just so, just to hear him to be outgoing is is a little different for for the rest of us. I think one thing we noted from these days uh, up in Summerland with Eli and and Carrie was uh, there was there was a growth in Carrie when he became a father. Uh, the the first summer up there, he was uh, the reserved guy that I think you you expected. Uh, probably hadn't done something like this before, uh, but as soon as he became a father, he he opened up quite a bit more, and I don't put that down just to the experience, but one of the things I was going to say about it, Kevin, was just the, how genuine those interactions are when he's up there. Uh, you're sitting in the dressing room. One thing we did uh, one summer is we got Carrie to tape a stick on video that we could share with the world because he's a little bit unique in what he does, and we thought that would be fun. Well, 
Sure enough, there was a parade of kids coming up to him in the dressing room after. Can you tape my stick for me? Can you tape my stick for me? Another kid comes up. Can you can you do my toe ties up for me? And none of it phased him. It was like he was a hockey dad there helping, what was it, 18 kids or 16 kids. Uh, and and he, he seemed to love every minute of it. There was, there was a big smile on his face. The other thing that, that really took me back, I think, was that first year, Kevin, when a bunch of the kids arrived and parents arrived with gifts for Carrie. Uh, that were handed out at the end of the day. And there was, there was a young man there who's um, of First Nations heritage like Carrie. And they presented him with, uh, was it a wolf skin or something? It, it, something it was like a wolf that. skin. Yeah. I, and, I, and I remember that kid because I've actually followed his career and I've talked to his dad. It's uh, Frankie Chaboye, I believe yep. if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yep. And yep. similar backstory, right? He, yeah, his dad, would, uh, his dad was driving something like 300 kilometers each way to get this kid to rep hockey. Similar type of background there. And, and when that was handed to Carrie, um, tears welled up in his eyes and it was, it was such an emotional moment. Uh, he, he really is a genuine guy, uh, off the ice and it's a real privilege to be a part of that. When I saw the video and I mentioned putting down the equipment and he reached over for the hug in the first thing in my mind was dad. So I'm glad you brought that up, Hutch. Yeah, but what he, he just, he just looked like, uh, he looked like a dad. Now it Carrie's got himself us, yeah, he's got himself into this uh, conversation. I, I don't think he's got enough runway left to be a, a Vesna Trophy candidate, but he's certainly uh, in there uh, and will be bandied about. Uh, Robin Leonard, who you spoke with, Woodley, is is up there. Uh, he's done enough. He, now, the platoon, I don't know whether that works against him. And Andre Vasilevsky is probably the leading candidate. I've got a reason why I would vote for somebody else, but uh, just give me your... Your Vesna Trophy candidates. We'll start with uh, with you, Woodley, about uh, the, this Vesna Trophy race right now. Yeah, you know, I guess we can call this the In Goal Radio three quarter poll or whatever they call it. Uh, Vesna Trophy breakdown. I- I'll be honest with you, uh, Freddie Anderson's at the top of my list right now uh, with Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, beyond that, it's you know, I mean, there are other names. Is Binnington probably nowhere? It doesn't have enough games. You know, we talk about the games played. Vasilevsky's at forty one. And Laner's at 37. So I get how the Laner-Grice split and the fact that both of them have similar numbers. People will say it's system-based. That may hurt them. But in terms of games played, like it's not that big a gap between Robin Laner uh, and Andre Vasilevsky. I look at it, you know, Flurry's up there at 56, Doobie 53. Um, but to me, Freddie Anderson, he's he's already closing on 50. Uh, he is 1-2 with Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver in terms of saves made. I think the Leafs are not as good a team defensively. I know they've got star power everywhere else offensively, but you know, look at some of the recent games. I mean, he is absolutely holding them in early. Um, he's, you know, between him and Vasilevsky, right now I'm leaning towards Freddie Anderson. And that's not not just because we're going to have him as a guest next week. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, but, but, but it's not a bad reason. I'll tell you that. In, in, in the world of, of making sure your guests are happy, that ranks right up there. Well, it's pretty hard to argue with either of those. Uh, I, I'm interested in the uh, the comparison between the starter and the backup, and and whether that teases out some of the system stuff. Are you are you familiar with any of those numbers, Kevin? Well, I'd tell you, like Freddie Anderson. To I don't have it again. I got to. Sc- I guess the fact I have to scroll, I have to scroll quite a bit further down before I find Louis Domingue compared um, to Andre Vasilevsky. I have to yeah. scroll quite a bit down the page. As a matter of fact, he's not on the page with all due respect. But Louis, Louis win streak. He broke Andre's record. Yeah. That's, that's what true. jumped out at me. 
Yeah. And when when Vasilevsky went out, Louis was great, and and they kept on winning. So that's that's why I would that's why I would default more to uh, a Frederick Anderson or a Mark Andre Fleury is just performance compared to backup. Yeah, and that and that's fair. And we see a lot of clusters this year. Like, take a look at who Dolben and Bishop. Like, they're right there in mm-hmm. terms of save percentage. Halak and Rask side by side in terms of save percentage. Obviously, Laner um, and Grice are like right there in terms of their numbers. You're right. Vasilevsky's at a nine thirty one. Deming's at at, at a nine oh eight. Um, Freddie Anderson's nine twenty three. And I'm just trying to find Garrett Sparks' story and n- like not. I think it's a games played thing that I I'm having trouble finding. Sparks is at 902, so and in a tough role. Let's not forget that we saw it with Magalhani. That is a tough role when you're not playing very often. But yeah, I, I think that counts, and that's also you know, it's in the favor of Mark Andre Fleury as well, whose save percentage numbers aren't there, um, but eight shutouts, and you know, from him to the backup, it's a pretty big, pretty big gap. Well, and games played too, isn't Subban sitting at only about 11 games? Yeah, and Flurry yeah. leads the league. Yeah, four wins too for uh, for Malcolm Subban, who was hurt for a little bit, but uh, Mark Andre Flurry has carried this. So mine are Flurry, Vasilevsky, and Anderson. But I want to put Robin Leonard in there. I just can't because of the uh, the platoon. So those are my three. Can it's you hard, guys give me your to, three? It's hard to fight against any of those names. But uh, where are the Canucks without Jacob Markstrom? The numbers might not be there, but where are the Canucks without Jacob Markstrom? Yeah, he's having an incredible season. My three, my three for sure are probably similar, Darren. I'd be honest with you. Like my one and two are Vasilevsky and Anderson, probably in the reverse order right now. And then to be honest with you, three, I could go either way, whether it's whether it's Laner or, or um yeah, I guess or even even Flurry. I think that save percentage for him probably takes him out of that conversation. But you're right, the game's played, the wins. There's a lot of positives there as well. At the end of the day, I think this is a Vasilevsky and Anderson race right now, unless something drastic happens. Hey, Andre Vasilevsky was running away with this award at this time last season and struggled down the stretch and everything yeah. changed. But at this point, to me, it's those two. How GM's about, uh, on this award. How about the Calder? Is Bennington going to wrestle his way in there at all? Is he gonna, has he got enough runway? Um, the, well, yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, I biased towards the goalies. I don't think, I don't know how you ignore him. This could get me death threats in the Vancouver, in Vancouver market with, no with, Eli- he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't win it. There's no way it's, it's Elias Pettersson all the way. Yeah. I think he's got yeah. two assists in his last five games. I mean, there's, like I said, there's runway left here. If Pettersson continues to struggle and Bennington lifts, I mean, the blues are a blues have a chance to take over the central for crying out loud. Bennington's got a nine thirty three, and we're at the 21. If he plays, he could get to 35 starts. Bennington. And isn't he leading the league in save percentage and goals against average? I mean, Patterson is doing well, but he's not leading the scoring race. That's true. It's all good points. You know what? Don't, don't, don't make me expand my role in this podcast. I'm all, already the layman who brings in the, the, the average Joe's question. Don't make me the voice of reason here. Please, please, guys. Okay, be the voice I, of reason. I, I beg well, it's it, it sure as hell not going to be us two. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. It, it adds I'm such a layer you guys with you, um, It adds a real layer to all this when you start trying to predict. Yeah. How it's going to get voted on, and and as Kevin has pointed out before, the the Vesna Trophy is voted on by general managers, a very different group who often have a very different criteria for how they're picking it. Well, they often get it wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Three quarters of the season for Pedersen uh, and a little bit of a blip 
Sure, but uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold firm on that one. Oh, I don't okay. disagree with who's now gonna let's, win it. Let's uh, let's slide over to our feature uh, interview of the week, and this one's a, a little bit different because it's very rare on any type of podcast that you would go to a guy who hasn't played and who's in the middle of a long rehab uh, for your for your conversation. But one, there's a great relationship uh, built up between Kevin Woodley and. Uh, Eddie Lack, and number two, he's a he's a fun and fascinating personality, both as a as a goaltender and then just a regular human. It's a bit sad that I have to describe it that like that as a as a regular human and and as a goaltender. So this is this is Kevin Woodley's catch up with with Eddie Lack in the midst of recovering from hip surgery. In our feature interview of uh, In Goal Radio, the podcast. Brought to you by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. All right, so we got the pleasure today of catching up with an old friend of mine, um, a guy who I got to know during his time here in Vancouver and uh, over the summers working out and in the offseason in Kelowna. Uh, somebody who I'm proud to call a friend, despite the fact I don't have any of his memorabilia in my office, uh, but that's a matter for another <laughs> day. Uh, Eddie Lack. Formerly of the Canucks, formerly of the Hurricanes, currently of the New Jersey Devils, but now I, I understand in Arizona where you're rehabbing a second hip surgery. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, we had to after, you know, we started with Bobby Lou and you sent us the tweet about being his backup again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm super happy that he's third, third on the list now. That that. That's awesome. I actually te- texted him today and, 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 and just uh, congratulated him. That's a huge accomplishment from, from uh, the legend. Well, let me, let, me, let me start there because I think we're, you know, I wanted to catch up with where you're at and the injury and the rehab, but let's just, let's just start there. You've played, with, you've played with some great ones, obviously one of the greatest of all time. What are your memories and what are the lessons you took away from playing with Roberto Luongo? No, but it's just the way that he prepares for, for like, games and practice and everything, you know? Like, the best goalies that I play with has always been the hardest workers, the ones that that are never satisfied and want to get better every day. That's, that's like, the biggest thing that I took took, took away from Bobby for sure. But that, then, like, it's also, like, I... I I came as a young kid from Sweden, and and the way that he wel- welcomed me too, and made and made me feel welcome to like the team. That that was like a huge thing to take with me too. You know, it doesn't matter who who or what you've done, but always treat 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 everyone the same. And and uh, yeah, that that's something that I that I really appreciate for sure. You know, I've talked to other goalies who in Florida, I remember uh, some call-ups, they they come in first taste of the NHL and they see Roberto out there, you know, half an hour early working with Robbie Tallis and they're kind of blown away at what it takes and and what he puts in. Did you have a moment like that where it's like holy crap that's a Roberto Luongo but then also holy crap look at the work he's doing? Yeah, yeah, hey, you know I'm not sure if I have like a special mo- moment like that. Uh, the first training camp that we shared shared together, we were roommates too, so that that was kind of fun. And like, if I remember too, when I was calling my my like friends from back back home and everything, I'm like, guys, 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 I'm gonna share a room with like 
Roberto Luongo, you know, and they're like, no way, dude, that, that's awesome. And, and, and yeah, he, he, he basically just like ended up buy, buying me breakfast every morning too. So that was really fun. <laughs> and so, and so then you basically repay him by uh, taking the start that runs him out of town in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, what do you remember of that though? That was, I mean, that was kind of a, yeah, that was a tumultuous year for everyone. And yet for you, it was an opportunity to play a lot more. I think a lot of people, especially right now, Columbus Blue Jackets and goaltending and a lot of focus on John Tortorella. But I remember talking to you and, and he was one of your favorite coaches. What was that year like? No, I know, but like, like it, the Heritage Classic and everything, it was kind of weird, you know, because mo- mo- most people wanted Louis to play, you know, and I, and I, I, I totally, totally under- understand that, too. It was just that, that I wa- 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 wanted to play, too, because I got told that I was going to play, you know, and, like, I wasn't going to turn, turn that down when Tor, Tor told, told, told me that I could play. So, yeah, it was kind of a weird situation because I felt that Luongo earned that start too you know with everything that he's doing through like the organization and everything but but like when Torch told me that I could play it was it was all like focused on just that that one game you know and 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 and, uh, make the most out of it you know how hard was that I mean you kind of were put in a tough spot like you said it's a dream start and yet Hard to hard to overlook everything that's going on around you, including, you know, uh, Heritage Classic, you know, a, a stadium at BC Place that holds fifty thousand full of people who, like you said, a lot of them wanted to see the other guy. That can't be an easy spot. No, no, I I honestly wasn't thinking too much about people outside, but especially like the day before when I saw Louis with his kids on the ice and everything, and I knew how much that he was lo- lo- looking forward to that. That came too. I felt that that was harder for me because that was something that, especially when when we played together and everything, because uh, I consider him a friend, you know. And 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 that that's the hard thing about goaltending because it's like you 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 only have one guy playing and the other guy is on the bench, you know. And that 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 was the hardest thing to see him the day before with his kids and stuff for sure. How do you manage those relationships? Because you've had a few over the years. It's not always easy. And like you said, I mean, this is kind of part of the dynamic for every goaltender, young and old. You both want to play, and yet there's only one net. What do you think are, what, what are some of the lessons you've learned over time that, that go into being a good teammate, uh, being a good backup, still being the same guy when you get a chance to maybe start ahead of the other guy? There's some lessons you think you could share maybe that young kids might benefit from. I don't know, but... I- but for me, it's been pretty easy to separate the goalies that I've been with and the guys that I've been with. Like on the ice, I'm I'm a hundred percent competitive. I'm like I'm like all all about beat, beating the other guy and 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 beating the guy for starts, you know. But once I'm in the locker room or like we're having dinner outside or like whatever, like that that's been pretty easy for me to just separate those those two and get to know the guys personally and have a relationship off off the ice compared to on the ice 
Okay, now we, we didn't plan on starting this with going back to your time as a Canuck and Roberto and all that thing. It just led down this path. I do want to, we can hear you're obviously in your car and driving back from a session of rehab, second hip surgery, uh, well with the Devils and with their American Hockey League affiliate this year, uh, needed the second hip surgery. Walk us through, tell us where you're at in terms of that process with the rehab, uh, how frustrating has it been to end up having to go under the knife on the other side now, and, um, you know, what's what's the prognosis for the hip? Uh, no, I mean, these hip it- Issues and stuff. It's been something that I've been dealing with for a long, long time too. I mean, I mean, I mean, it goes back from my Vancouver days too, and and uh, now now it all kind of got to this point where I had to get the the second surgery done too. I mean, looking back at it, I kind of wish that I did it sooner too. But like, you never. Re- really want to get into surgery unless you have any other options you know but uh for me for me right now i'm just trying not to think too far ahead i'm just like thinking about this day or this week and what do i have to do to get like a little bit better every every day and especially these last few have been so frustrating for me too that it's like Right now, I just want want to get back to feeling like a hundred percent again. And I know that you and I have talked about this like a ton with my stance and how I set myself up and everything. But like me talking about my stance has has come a hundred percent because of my hip issues. So I've been kind of like over rotating one side or like maybe if I turn my hip this way, my hips not not gonna hurt and stuff. So. Uh, these these years has just been like a constant battle, and right now, the main thing for me is just get getting back to feeling like 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 a hundred percent, and not thinking about my hip because like it's been a long time coming. So so it sounds like in a lot of ways you've been basically everything you've done in terms of like you said, stance, step up, uh, the way you way you're moving have have been in part uh, compensation for what you were going through with the hip. No, I know, and like. And like honestly, so I really don't want to make this like a cry story that I'm crying out in the media or like whatever, because like I know that there's a ton of guys that are going through like the same thing, you know. And and basically for me, like I don't think that I played one game in like the NHL not having pain, you know. It's just like part of the daily life of being an athlete, you know, and the hip stuff has really bothered me, especially the last year or so. So like, this is really something that I just wanted to, to take care of now too. So I can, first of all, just live a normal life, you know, and then we'll see where, where it takes me from there. Now what's, what's rehab like from that? I mean, I've, it's funny. I've talked to, Literally, you know, probably without exaggerating, probably a hundred goaltenders over the year that have had this surgery at all different levels. I mean, I remember being part of the research um, when I used to string for Sports Illustrated, the big feature we did back when Jay Shiger was having it. And as part of that research, we found like 12 and 13 year olds 
having the surgery almost as a precautionary measure, knowing that their hips, if they continued to play goal, were eventually going to start carving out cartilage because of the way the femur was shaped. But I don't think I've ever talked to anyone yeah. about the rehab process. What's what's this <laughs> like? What's, I mean, how, how, you're immobile for how long? And then what steps do you take? What, what's it like getting back from a major hip surgery as a goaltender? So, like... There's a lot of surgeons that do it the different way, first of all. I mean, some guys have you weight-bearing weight after just a few days, while uh, in my case, uh, doc, Dr. Kelly that I did it with in the New York, he wants you like uh, non-weight-bearing for, for three or four weeks. So, like, so uh, the first weeks are, like, tough because then – you're basically just like rehab to go back back holes, and they give you this, this like CPM machine that moves your leg, leg up and down, and you basically have have to lay in that like six six hours a day just to not make your leg go 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 stiff with with scar tissue and everything. So like that. so you've got a so, mach- you're lying in bed with a machine moving your leg for six weeks. Uh, yeah, that that uh, that's the first six weeks, and that's six, six hours every single day that that like you have to lay in that machine. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, now I'm like two months out, so like there's no crutches, there's like nothing, and I can move now like better than I did be- before my surgery. You know, uh, so. The only thing that I'm basically restricted from right now is like jumping and running and stuff like that until it's like a hundred percent healed. But I can squat with 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 like moderate weights and yeah. So my workout right now is kind of long. They're like four four and a half hours a day. So it's kind of like 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 way different from my. From my first surgery, because I remember I was I was basically only there like maybe maybe an hour and a half, two hours a day then. But I guess the protocol has changed 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 now. <laughs> so yeah, and I mean it, it sounds like a lot of progression since then. It's amazing how fast things change. Six hours a day with a, lying in bed with a machine moving your leg for six weeks. I gotta ask. Uh, other than catching up on all the in goal podcasts. What uh, what were you what, what, what were you listening to? What were you doing? What, I mean, t- people want to know what's the what's the best show on Netflix right now? What were you watching to stay stay busy? Uh, no, but there's been some Netflix. I mean, uh, so I've actually started uh, to study a little bit too. Uh, so I've been reading a lot and stuff like that. You know, to get my brain going a little bit too. <laughs> but 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 yeah. Uh, Six hours does get a little bit boring after a while. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Okay, and hold on. Studying. Studying. What, like you're not the art of goaltending. You're looking at other things right now. Tell us what you've been, catch us up with what you've been looking at. Uh, no, but I've been kind of getting into uh, to, to some re- real estate and stuff lately. And, 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 and uh, uh, basically, I just want to learn, like uh, develop myself as much as I can. I mean... I know that when I was 18 and I was a goalie, it was just hockey, hockey, hockey. But the, the older you get, you kind of start to realize that there's 
more stuff out there too and <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of like uh, what i'm interested in right now and then obviously i still watch like a lot of games and follow up on scores and highlights and stuff like that too so so preparing for life after hockey but not necessarily done that fair to say kevin i'm getting old <laughs> hey you're talking to a 45 year old goaltender who can hardly get out of bed the next morning you're not old yet <laughs> What about a 31-year-old that can't get get out of bed? <laughs> well, that's an entire that's an entirely different case. But it sounds so. It sounds like you got an eye on both things. Let's, uh, you know, you you mentioned sort of being 18 and hockey, hockey, hockey. Let's go through some of the background, like some of the path to here. What what you know, as a kid, well, how'd you fall in love with the game? What what made you? Was it a goal? Was it goaltending all the way? Were you a forward first? How did Eddie Lack become a goaltender? So uh, Sweden won the Olympics in 94, and this is what I learned after. But, like, when I saw Sweden win, that was, like, the coolest thing ever. But, like, obviously now when I look back at it, 94, it was kind of like this past Olympics, too. There was no NHL players there. So so hold on, 90, 94. 94, we got to, like, like, shout out to Corey Hurst there, right? Yep, yep. So Peter Forsberg scored on... Corey Hurst, uh, back home in Sweden, that goal became a stamp on like all the postal cards and everything. And si- uh, six-year-old and Eddie Lack took notice. Tommy Sao did like a two-pad stack for Sweden to win it, and like after that, I was just sold on the game. <laughs> so you six at the time. Was it goaltending the whole way, or did you start playing other positions? So I started playing with guys that were like one or two years older than me. Uh, So my skating ability was not even close to like the rest. So I stood in goal and like, and like apparently I stopped some shots too. So uh, then I just loved it and I wanted to keep going. What was it? What was it about the position that you loved? Probably that it's like you're either a hero or a zero. That's what I always loved love about it but you kind of make your own day you know there's no gray marks when you're a goalie like you are you are the best in the world one day or or you are the worst which which is kind of funny to me that that's what i love loved about it too but now part of me doesn't like it <laughs> i was gonna say that's a, that can be that can be an attractive thing as a kid but that can become Oh, I guess hard to deal with as a pro, especially when you were in a market like Vancouver, uh, Calgary after that, where the focus is so intense. How did you, how did you deal with that? Yeah, but I mean, Calgary, I didn't even play. So (laughs) the biggest thing that I would do different if I could do Vancouver again would like be, especially early in my career, because I'm one of these guys that want to please everyone. Like, I want everyone to like me. And me being young in Vancouver, I feel that I cared a little bit too much about what people thought about me, especially the ones that didn't like me. I cared even more about them. And that's something that I would for sure change if I could do it again. Because now, when I've been through this for, like, a longer time, now I know that the, that those guys doesn't even matter, you know? 
What, um, I mean, there's, there's lessons there. I mean, being a backup too, especially in that role at the start of your career with the Canucks and then through various stops since, um, it's not an easy balance to find you. You need to be out late in practice, um, you know, being popular in the room, being that guy that everybody likes in the room. Like that's sort of almost part of the job description. If you were talking to a young professional about adjusting to life in that role, as much as everybody wants to be a starter, like what are the keys that go into being your best self and still being able to be a good teammate and be, be a good backup goaltender in that role. Not that anybody craves that role, but there's an art to it. Yeah. No, like I hear what you're saying, but like, to be honest, that old stuff kind of came natural to me. Like, like for me, it wasn't anything different really from being a starter to a backup because for me, I always stayed out late in practice. I always did the extra stuff. I was always, like, the happy guy and, like, try to spread jokes around the team. Some teams that I've been on thought that that was a disadvantage, like, when I became the starter and I was trying to, like, they felt that that I was a little bit too loose around the room to be a starter and, like, me trying to please everyone, I kind of tried to change myself and like be like a little more quiet and be be a little more serious on like uh, practicing in the locker room, whatever. But like that's what I figured out that for me to work out, I have to be me. Like I can't try to be someone else or like try to please everyone, you know. So uh, yeah, that's a little different. You played with, you know, we, we talked about Roberto early, um, but we don't want to overlook Ryan Miller either. You spent some time with Ryan Miller who, um, you know, as much as I, I love Roberto's passion, uh, Miller's right up there too, in terms of just meticulous with his body, with his gear, um, with his approach to the position and the way he thinks things through. What were some of the lessons you took away from, you know, that opportunity to, to spend time with a guy who is now you know, talking about milestones that with the winningest goaltender, American born goaltender in the history of the NHL. Before, before I played with Ryan Miller, I thought that I over, that I thought that I was overthinking stuff and everything, man, that guy thinks about everything, like every single little detail about the game. And I think that that has made him so good because that works for him. He found out something that worked for him and he just kept, kept, kept doing it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, Ryan Miller's passion for the game it's unbelievable. Like he loves the game and that shows when he plays too. I mean, such a good goalie. How do you find that balance? And I know it's something that you've, you know, you've talked about over the years uh, and, and probably may even still be trying to figure out. I'm not sure. You tell me the balance between wanting to have that attention to detail and overthinking things. We've had other guests on the podcast. We had Thatcher Demko in and, you know, he talked about, pregame warm-up and all those things he used to do because you know he'd learned them over along the years he saw other people doing them so many tiny little elements vision warm-up body warm-up visualization dynamic like everything and by the time the game started he was exhausted um that yeah. that balance between thinking about details and not overthinking things how to and going out and playing free is it different for everyone how do you find it 
so I think that that just comes from like getting older and playing a lot. I feel like that's like the biggest thing that comes when people say that goalies take a longer time to to like develop, you know, and like you have to bide your time in the AHL and stuff. I feel like that one of the things that are coming with that because you are allowed to like make make your mistakes down there and like you are learning what those mistakes mean and that's how you develop too i feel like my first year in the american league that was really really good like that's when i played in uh, manitoba and uh, the year was going great and everything and we were going to have our first playoff series and the week leading up to it that's when i was trying too much because like because like every single practice i was out like 45 an hour extra, you know, because I was trying to squeeze all of these little things in, in, into my preparation because I thought that if I didn't do this one thing, that's going to screw my whole game up. So, like, when the first game came, like, I was exhausted. I think I got pulled after, like, 10, 15 mi- minutes, whatever, and, like, I was just atrocious out there because I was so tired, you know, and then they started the other guy for a couple of games. But then I came back back in for game four, I think, and I learned my lesson, you know. And after that, the playoff just went great for me, you know. But, like, that was one of the things that I had to figure out, that I can't do too much because that's going to screw me over, you know. Yeah, no, I think I think that's, you know, when you talk about the development curve for a lot of guys, it's sometimes it's finding different keys to their game at different points from different voices and finding the right voice takes time. Sometimes it's just experience. Like you said, you got to learn, you got to be through it before you learn from it. Plus, there, there's like the most goalies that I've dealt with, like for the past 15 years, like, the goalies aren't really the hardest workers out there. And, like, there's not, like, lazy goalies that I've met out there. And and for a lot of these younger guys, it's going to be, like, less is more, you know, and less is usually better when it comes to stuff, stuff like that. Okay, I wanted to touch real quick on your your history in Sweden. Now, goalie coaches, uh, this has kind of become a focus, something we touch on with every guy. Um, you were sort of part of a, a wave when, you know, quote-unquote Swedish goaltenders were a hot property in the NHL. Um, we've seen a lot of, we've heard a lot about the development sort of program over there for young goaltenders. You kind of came on the heels of that, so... Like for you growing up, when did you have your first goalie coach? When did you sort of get exposed to that program where where goalie coaching was uh, something you had consistently or how much of it was just trial and error and out there and also with your dad who I know played a big role in in your development and in your career path? Yeah, so my first coach was my dad and uh, uh, basically he was my full-time goalie coach, you know, but... but, but, uh, that every summer we went on these like uh, goalie schools, whatever, like 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 in Lexan where I'm from, and and uh, uh, then then every year we kind of picked up something new along the way, you know. But he kept teaching me over the next year, uh, so 
my dad was my goalie coach up until I was uh, 15 or something, I think. Uh, but then when I was 10, I saw Stefan Lade, uh, the guy for the Swedish national team. So I saw him, I think, once a week or once every two weeks uh, from from that I was 10. And he was one of the guys that kind of started that, that too, you know. It was him and Thomas Mag- Magnuson. So those guys kind of like started it all. And I saw Stefan. Stefan from yeah when I was ten and then uh, probably probably up until like juniors in Sweden and uh, that's when I got like a real goalie coach that were not not my dad on full full time. <laughs> no, you don't have kids yet. No, it's no, it's something you plan on in the future. If you had a kid and he comes to you and he says, "Dad, I want to be a goalie," what what's the perfect develop? Well, a are you gonna let him or her? And b What's the perfect development curve? We see so much talk these days. I mean, you've you've seen it in Sweden where you were kind of part of that growth of of that program with Magnuson and with Ladi. Um, do we see too much at times at a young age? If if you were the guy running that running that show for your own child, what what would that look like in terms of when do they become a goalie full time? When do you start introducing technical stuff? What would be the keys and the foundation you would lay? So I'm one of these like old school ones. But I think that, especially in Canada now, it's like crazy. Like seven, seven, eight-year-olds play hockey 12 months out of the year. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, when I grew up, we all played, like, hockey in the winter and soccer in the summer, you know? That was kind of our deal. I know that you can't really do exactly the same now, but it's like the more sports you played, the better of an athlete in general you get, I think. And that's still like the the school that I would like to preach, you know? Yeah. Get a little that's, sports specific a little later in life. Yes. Like, look at Jacob Mar- Markstrom too. He, he's killing it right now. And like, from what I, from, from what I understand, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he actually started playing goalie when he was 12 that sounds about right from our conversations yeah that's crazy to me like 12 and he still made it to starter in the in the nhl like compared to the the these parents now that are putting their goalies through goal 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 goaltending schools 12 months 12 months out of the year from when they're five or six like, like you don't have to do that to become to become an NHL goalie. That's all I'm saying. Sounds like good advice. Hey, uh, who do you watch these days? You say you still keep tabs on it. Are there are there favorites from a goaltending perspective? Whether it's old teammates or guys you're big on coming up. I mean, we've seen you know a guy you would know, Mackenzie Blackwood, kill it. Be nice to see another teammate of yours, Corey Schneider. Looks like he's found his form again and found his confidence again. Who are you keeping tabs on beyond your, you know, your your current employer, the New Jersey Devils? <laughs> so, like, I usually keep tabs on all the teams that I played for. So, like, uh, because that's like the guys that I know. You know, I play with these guys and I want them to do well. You know, uh, 
that's kind of what I'm doing now. Uh, then, like, I live in Arizona now, so I keep a little eye on Arizona too. And yeah, and as you know, too, I played through a few teams in like the NHL too. So there's a few teams to keep an eye on. Right as you say, now. you gotta have to league scout it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Between former teams and their opponents, but who do you like to watch as a goalie? Who you know? I mean, played a certain way. Like, are there are there guys that you like to watch now, uh, style wise, and why? Uh, I love to watch Vasilevsky play. Like, he is like out of this world with his with with his athleticism and yeah, like he he just makes those like 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 impossible saves, which makes it fun to watch. <laughs> Okay, hey, one, you know what I just realized? I was looking through your bio, and we talked about Luongo, we talked about Schneider, we talked about Miller. Guys, especially in, in, in Miller and Luongo, who have recently hit big milestones. I forgot to ask you, the guy that Luongo passed last night is another all-time great that you played with, Although, be, albeit for yeah. a very short time. What was like, life like as the backup for Lexans in Swedish First Division with Ed Belfour? as the number one goalie coming in late in his career as an import? No, like, it was crazy. Like, like he was still a really, really good goalie when he came over, you know, and, like, that was still... I think a lot of us division. thought, yeah, I think a lot of us thought he should have still been in the yeah. NHL, frankly. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, the biggest thing that I remember from from Ed, it was that, like, before his first games in Sweden, it was so hyped up, you know, like they had these huge like fan tifos and stuff in the stands, whatever, and like it, it was just like so big that he was coming to small let Lexan, you know, and his first game he let his first shot in, I remember, and like the whole arena just just went dead quiet, you know, <laughs> like 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 so quiet, and then. Uh, then he shut the game, uh, uh, the door, from from that point uh, uh, to I think three or four games forward. He didn't let a goalie after that, so that was kind of funny. <laughs> did you did you learn anything from him? He was kind of at at a stage of his career where, and he had a reputation where, I, you know, I'm not sure mentor would have been a, a description that a lot of people would have used for Eddie. Um, he took care of, you know, like he, he knew what he needed to do to get himself ready, but were there any lessons learned or did you have a chance to get to know him at all? Yeah. So like Ed was basically like the first guy that showed me to roll out, you know, like this was like 15 years ago and like no one had really shown me like the foam roll and stuff like that, you know? So, uh, he showed me that. And then I remember like every bus ride, I just, try to sit next to him, you know, and, and, and just like bugging with questions. How, how is it to play in like the NHL, you know, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'm, uh, I'm sure that I was super, 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 super annoying for a 43 year old Balfour, but, but, but yeah, uh, basically I was just trying to soak up as much as I could. <laughs> and he tolerated. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> okay, so uh, last one. 
uh, amidst all this, playing with Belfort, playing with Luongo, Heritage Classic, a World Championship gold medal as well. Um, what are the memories? If if the if you know, like I said, I know you're not done yet necessarily, but what are the what are the what are the biggest memories of your career right now? Or does it go back to time with your dad that you got to spend back in Sweden or even on the road in the NHL when he joined you? What what stands out to you as a, as as one of the better memories so far? No, but it's like there's so much things that I've got to experience. I got to uh, learn through hockey, you know, like like uh, without hockey, I wouldn't have met met my wife. Like all the friends that I met, uh, yeah. I mean, there's so many memories. Like hockey-wise, I would probably say like. Uh, the first year in the NHL was really cool, uh, playing with Bobby. The second year was cool when we made the playoffs. Uh, the World Championship goal was really cool. So, yeah, there, there's like a ton of stuff to choose from. <laughs> and like we said, not necessarily done yet. We don't mean it to sound like that, but we'll see how this rehab goes. See how the real estate lessons go. One day at a time. One day at a time, every goalie's mantra. And Eddie, we thank you for taking the time on this day uh, to come on and talk goaltending with the Ingoal Radio Podcast, man. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's good to catch up and uh, hope to do it in person soon. Perfect. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Thanks, bud. I just pictured Eddie Lack driving around his neighborhood there towards the end of that interview because uh, he's using the car for a while, but he'd never tell you. There's no way he'd ever tell you. My memory of Eddie Lack, beyond what happened in Vancouver, was in Carolina, he did this commercial, guys, uh, for, I think it was a, a Mexican food chain or a taco food chain, uh, where he had this sandwich board. And this was this was the soundbite. I brought it here. I brought a clip. Here's the soundbite. Hey Gonzalo, what's up buddy? You got my Loco Taco ready? It is ready, senor, but there's one more thing I need you to do for me. No way, we talked about this. Well, sorry, senor, a deal is a deal. Loco, Loco Taco, Gonzalo, come on, Loco, Loco Taco. So, so, so that's, that's my lasting image of Eddie Lack beyond just the the personality but it kind of they they go hand in hand don't they Woodley standing outside of Gonzo <laughs> Tacos with a Loco Taco signboard screaming Loco Tacos yeah yeah it's, I mean and it's it isn't it funny to hear that interview now and and we know the personality and um he talked about how there were times in his career I think some of that was here where um you know, teammates and, and the organizations, you know, found the, that the personality was too much and that if he could do it again, he'd go back and, and not listen to that, that he'd be himself because trying to be other things usually doesn't work out for you. Isn't that a theme that's starting to recur here a little bit through a number of these interviews? Um, maybe not just being yourself, but but not trying to be somebody different. And, and that really stood out with the, the Thatcher Demko interview. Uh, as he was talking about all the the preparations he used to go through that he's not, uh, we're hearing from a lot of guys that you have to be yourself and relax and just play the game. Clarifications now: uh, the stance for Eddie Lack and his hips and that relationship, Woodley. Can you take me through that? Um. Yeah. There was. You know. I I felt at times, and there was a fair bit of honest back and forth. Like he almost an obsession with stance, not realizing just how bad that other hip was bugging him. Um, 
but to the point where that was the focus all the time was to be able to get into a stance rather than just playing the game, uh, tinkering with what that stance was like, trying to find a stance that allowed him to be explosive and athletic and efficient all at the same time. But, um, you know, almost almost obsessing with it. Uh, you know, again, from the outside, it felt like maybe obsessing with it uh, a little too much. And listen, stance, I've written about this for, for Unmasked for NHL.com this year. Stance is the foundation. How you set up, dictates your ability to move um and it, it it basically dictates everything save execution whether you can get to the ice whether you have lateral movement uh, whether you can get rotation in your movements like your stance is your home base and so it's important but you know like a lot of things uh you can get carried away with anything in goaltending as robin laner told us and i think for eddie it felt from the outside like there were times uh, he was a little obsessed with that stance and and we've had honest conversations about that and so it was interesting to hear that you know, hear him say that for him, a lot of it over the past couple of years was just trying to find one that allowed him um, to sort of survive that hip injury. Amazing. It goes back to the Robin Leonard thing about angles. Like, how do you how do you get to that level with with angles and figuring it out and 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 keeping square? But uh, a guy that's in the National Hockey like tinkering with a stance and and trying to find a right stance. It's just it's that that blows my mind. Tinkering with his stance in the playoffs against the Calgary Flames after he led the Canucks. Like a lot of people forget about this. I know it hasn't gone well since, but 921 save percentage got them into the playoffs when Ryan Miller uh, had an MCL sprain late in the season. And in the playoffs when things started going poorly was actually tinkering with his stance on his own during the playoffs to try and get comfortable. Wild. Just, it, we, we think that they're so locked in uh, and, and, and like anybody else, uh, there's there's moving parts there. Uh, where where is Eddie right now? Not physically, but uh, career wise. And what what's the what's the road ahead look like? Well, well, you heard it in the interview there. I think there's he's a little undecided. It probably depends on how this hip goes, um, how the recovery goes, what the opportunities are. I'm not sure. You know, obviously, you know what the opportunities would be for him coming off this season. Um, whether they might even be a, you know a two way deal. Um, he got one way money last time and how that would play into it. But, uh, obviously a guy, as he talked about taking his real estate, you know, doing courses well, he was recovering from hip surgery and lying in that bed with that machine, moving his leg. So, uh, doesn't mean he's necessarily going to move on right now, but he's certainly preparing for life after hockey. He's got Dr. Ho things strapped up to him. Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot more. You know, I should have got him to take some pictures for us. Uh, obviously, he'd moved on by the time we talked. I'll ask if he's got any pictures that we can throw on social media because it's like Dr. Ho on steroids. I mean, we're talking about it. It's not just a little stimulation of the muscle. It's actually moving the leg up and down like and moving the leg around like a. Uh, I don't know, like a mechanical leg almost. So I, I actually, you know what? I, I haven't seen it. I've had it described to me from several goaltenders who have been through it. Now that you planted that seed, I need to get a picture. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get a picture and we're going to put it on social media this week. So there's the story of Eddie Lack, uh, who is uh, now trying to uh, get through his hip surgery. And everybody else is thinking about moving on as well. And that revolves around new gear. And this is the the launch season. And we have launched a new segment with our uh, new sponsor, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. And Woodley, uh, it's... Uh 
time to look at the CCM eFlex 4 as we take everybody behind the curtain. You wanted to set this up a little bit before I throw to your to your segment uh, and talking about the eFlex? Well, I mean, uh, we've all seen eFlex 4 in the NHL um, on Carey Price, on Pekka Rene, uh, on Jacob Markstrom here in Vancouver. I mean, on a lot of guys. eFlex 4 has been in the NHL since the start of this season. Uh, Hutch and I were at an event with CCM as early as last spring where we saw the new line. Yeah, so last February where we saw the new line in February of 2018. But now, last week, um, March 1st, they unveiled it to the rest of the world, what they call a lockdown lift in the industry. Uh, The gear itself won't be on the retail store till April 26th, but over those next seven weeks, we can all take a look at what exactly it is. And I think as we've pointed out on our social media channels, there are some differences in the retail pad from what you've seen in the NHL. Some of them just cosmetic, but some of them in terms of the strapping a little bit. Um, there are some features that maybe nobody's talked about in terms of the new core and the lightweight. Uh, and so we're going to walk through that. We're going to go. We're going to go talk with Cam from the Hockey Shop Source Reports in Surrey, and we're going to walk through all those features. Um, we cho- chose Cam. Uh, not just because the Hockey Shop Source of Sports is our new sponsor, but because these guys know. And so I talk about being in Montreal at these events with CCM. Cam's been... Cam does it too. To, yeah. Cam goes to Montreal for these events. Cam, who runs the goalie department at the Source for Sports in Surrey, Hockey Shop Source for Sports, uh, has been to the Lefebvre factory. He knows the difference between the pads that are produced in the Lefebvre factory for NHL guys and the stuff that comes out for retail uh, he knows the line top to bottom. We've had him out in test gear. They've been on the ice, and they're able to sort of walk us through some of those nuances. As a matter of fact, they've got an article up uh, at hockeyshop.com, thehockeyshop.com, that basically already has on-ice testing with Eflex 4. So a lot of people are out there seeing the features. They've actually sort of been able to see how these features are captured on the ice and how they, you know, how they manifest themselves on the ice, how they feel on the ice, which is the kind of stuff we're going to bring in our review. Cam's going to help us have a sneak peek at that. So if you want to know everything about the EX uh, CCM Eflex 4, you check out the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports or thehockeyshop.com, just like Kevin Woodley did as we raised the curtain on CCM's latest line. All right, so we're actually here at the hockey shop in Surrey with Cam. And actually, we had this, you know, we weren't quite sure. We had your name written down. So you tell us now, seeing our listeners are going to get to know you, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Matt Wiv. That's simple. Very simple. It's not spelled simple. <laughs> okay, I, we're just going to go Cam from the hockey shop for now. Um, and we're going to talk about the Eflux 4 line. We're actually here in the goalie department of the hockey shop, which is an entire basement. And as you look around, like, this is goalie heaven. So we'll do some photos on social later. But for now, we're going to talk about Eflex 4. Lockdown lift was this week. So everybody's seen the pictures. You guys are the first ones I know that have a review out, actually, that have had the pads on the ice, had the gloves on the ice, tested this a little bit. Walk me through what you see as the key selling points as a retailer, the key features of this new line. Uh, I mean, more so for the Eflex 4, I think that one of the biggest notes is definitely the weight difference between the pad. Um, we've had a chance to weigh both an Eflex 3 and an Eflex 4, and we're talking about a full pound difference. Um, our Eflex 4 set uh, that we have here, uh, 34 plus 1 uh, weighed in at uh, 4.6 pounds off the top of my head, and then our Eflex uh, 3 actually weighs in at uh, 5.6. So um, it's quite a substantial difference. Um, you can really, really notice um, the knee cradle is another big highlight 
switching over to that same material that the uh, P2 is actually using as well. Um, the tight fit uh, leg channel, again, it's just been more refined, um, more responsiveness out of the pad because of this. That's the quick motion strapping. So a lot That's of correct. these things, the quick motion strapping, the change in the core, sort of follow along the lines of the P2 in terms of cutting the weight. It's a thinner profile. It's lighter. It's a little more responsive through this trapping. CCM really set out to to catch up to the rest of the market. I would say in that sense, with everyone else being you know that sub four and a half pound pad, you know CCM really puts their mark on it with this as well, like they did with the P2 originally. So um, really noticeable, really quick and responsive, which the Uflex series has been you know toted as being, but even more so this year. And the, uh, the knee is the 3D molded knee landing area, which we saw debut on the Premier 2. And I got to be honest with you, in NHL locker rooms this year, seeing way more of it. Uh, this is an example of CCM building something at the retail level before it hits pro and pros now adopting it. Talk to Pecorine about it. Um, Price is one of the guys that had it for a long time. Bernier had it for a long time. But we're seeing other guys now ask for it in their pads. Uh, the biggest thing for the, pe- the, way, the way it holds a knee pad when you land uh, the way it holds up over time, and in Pekka's case, he thought it just because it didn't contain or didn't retain moisture or wetness during the game, he just felt like it was better overall. It it looks like that's something that other guys are going to start looking for in pads. Definitely, that stability um, and the butterfly in particular that that can provide. It just sitting tall, not having to worry about any slip, especially when you're transitioning any movements. Big selling feature for it. New toe ties. Yes. On the E-Flex 4, this is a big step for CCM, who have long been sort of, I don't want to say last bastions, but they were sort of last to adopt, and they had laces in everything up until this patch. Traditionalist comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, and, and hey, and there's value to that, but this is a departure for them. Uh, what was your guys' experience on the ice with this new toe tie system? It's an elastic system with a Velcro top, pretty easy to get on. What was the responsiveness like? We'll, we'll call it similar to a pro, uh, pro lace because it's basically what it is. Um, we find a lot of adoption happening across all brands at this. I mean, you're seeing it on Brian's pad. You're seeing it on the new 2X. Uh, it's definitely the way of the future just in terms of connection, feel, uh, response at that toe area, making sure that pad snaps back onto you, especially when you're transitioning out of a butterfly and moving into your next save. It, you can't get that response out of a set of laces. Okay, another aspect of this pad that comes stock that is also slowly, maybe a little slower to be adopted in the NHL. But again, Pekka Rene is a guy who's added it. Uh, Merrick Mazanik was here with the Canucks, and he had it this year uh, for the first time and noticed the difference. Speed skin. Now, I happened to be there when you tested it for the first time on the ice, and you had questions about whether, you know, just how much of a difference it would make. But you, what was your experience firsthand when you tested it? I guess that would have been on the E-Flex 3 for the first time. That's correct. Yeah, I, I had my first chance at it. And honestly, it surprised me at how well it actually did slide, especially on a dry sheet of ice. It, it moved, it responded. I mean, it sounded a little weird at first. It almost oh, and like weaved, yeah. and <laughs> you know what? We're going to, we're going to, after we finish here, we're going to play a clip from Mazanic imitating the sound. He didn't know what corduroy pants were. I guess I'm old that I know what corduroy, <laughs> but it's kind of like that sound that corduroy makes. And he's, and so we have Merrick Mazanek on tape going, you know, that's pretty close to what it sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> sound effects brought to you by Kevin Woodley. Um, so, okay. So you, so you like that. It's now stock on it. Uh, I guess the one thing about launching the E-Flex 4, and it comes out in late April. Correct. Um, but you can start to take a look at the customizer. You can Call Cam here at the Hockey Shop. You can go to hockeyshop.thehockeyshop.com, read the review, see some photos, see what the differences are, see there how they felt it responded on ice. You can also start talking to them about you know, some of the custom features. The, the customizer this year, what I really liked about what they did 
probably makes your job easy when it comes time to order custom. The little quite did you see the little question mark box next to each spec on the website? So now rather than going through the spec sheet and seeing six different options on an e-cradle, recessed, non-recessed, all these things, you can actually click a picture and it'll show you what that actually looks like. I'm hoping that makes your job easier come custom order time. So much more streamlined. I mean, these guys have already, CCM that is, has already been an innovator in the customizer with how simple it is to use. And adding that, they, they had it to a bit of a degree before, you had to click on a separate link and you kind of had two tabs open to kind of flip back and forth through custom specs. But now having it be able to highlight it a second you're actually doing it, it's huge. It really definitely alleviates a lot of the, I wouldn't say silly questions, but you know, what does this do? What does this do? What does this do? Well, now you can visually see it right off the bat. Okay, and we're gonna have you on over the course of the next month talking about what the process of ordering custom pads, not just from CCM, but from any company um, and how you help sort of customers get through that process to make sure, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody has a good product but not every product is for every goaltender. That's what I love about this position, whether it's at the NHL, Peewee to Pro. Everybody has personal preferences that are unique based on how they play, and the gear should match them. And I think that's what I've loved about coming to visit you guys over the years is you understand preferences in terms of style and how they translate to equipment. That a big part of the custom process, being able to talk guys through, like, if I want a stiff pad, are you talking me into an eFlex 4? Not necessarily, but that really depends on, again, your specific needs and what your execution is going to be while you're playing the position. And that's what's really exciting about my job is that uh, no one customer is the same, no one goalie is the same, and I, no one pad is the same either. So it's, it's, it's very exciting on my side to be able to identify those specific needs for everyone. Okay, perfect. We'll get into that in detail with some different brands, like I said, over the next month or so. But for now, the one thing about having eFlex 4 out that can benefit consumers who maybe they're not worried about that pound. They've been hitting the gym, you know, doing the big squats. They don't have to worry about a, pound, a pad that's a pound lighter. Eflex 3 is on sale. That's correct. And what kind of discounts can they find? And again, thehockeyshop.com online. That page will be up with some of the highlights on some of the savings you can find. Limited stock, but a chance if you want to to save, what, 400 bucks on a set of pads if last the last model is good enough for you. That's correct. It is exactly 400 bucks on the pads in particular, which is fantastic. You're getting that pro pad for you know 400 bucks less compared to everything else on the wall. That's for sure. Speed skin on those as well in the Flex 3? So actually, funny story. <laughs> Originally, when uh, Speed Skin came out for Eflex 3, um, I was very uncertain about it. I didn't know much about it. Uh-oh. Um, and I'm going to throw Matt under the bus here a little bit, but he didn't tell me too much about it either. So that said, I had ordered all of our stock sets without uh, any speed skins. So you'll see regular Gen Pro on all of our sets. Okay, but some people may like, again, traditionalists. With the exception of, and they are noted on the website, there, I think there's one or two sets that are speed skin. They're just stock all white sets from CCM. Um, they are clearly noted on the website. Okay, and the other big difference, you know, for those who are looking and, and are a little uncertain, obviously you've got... The original model knee stack, you don't have the 3D molded knee stack. You don't have the quick motion strapping. You've got two sort of, well, synthetic leather straps, which help get the weight down. Like the, the E-Flex 3 was significantly lighter than the E-Flex 2. E-Flex 4 is even lighter than that. But, you know, again, a lighter pad um, and just a little more traditional feel for about 400 bucks less. Exactly. And you, honestly, again, if they're not picky about that weight, like you brought up before, you, you know, you're not going to have a bad time. The way we spec'd out the knee cradle was to give it a little bit of a tighter fit in particular. That was just one of the specs that we liked at the time and what we chose. Other than that, we're still talking about a stock e-flex pad. So, and the other difference too, is, uh, I don't, I know what well, you'll have to check the website to see what the differences are on blockers and gloves. 
but not much has changed in either of those things from eflex 3 to eflex 4 for ccm so you know if you're just looking for new mitts you happen to like ccm mitts there'll be an opportunity to save some money there as well that's correct okay perfect cam the first of many, I hope, uh, with The Hockey Shop and uh, thehockeyshop.com is the sponsors of In Goal Radio, presented by The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. Uh, I enjoyed this. We're going to do this more often. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Nice work, uh, Woody and uh, and Cam. The, the customizer, I, just, I, I always go back to the customizer because do you guys not just go on there and just play around you can do it for hours and i I have to say the first time i ever had the privilege of ordering some custom gear it was uh it was really hard to do because you know eventually you have to hit that button and lock yourself in but but what a it's just a whole lot of fun to go down the rabbit hole of designs well and hutch and i are kind of privileged because we were on that customizer a long time ago picking the sets that will be tested for in goal so our sets are being built right now and should be here soon um the one thing uh in terms of the customizer, there are like two parts to this. Like one, ordering custom gear, and you don't have to be in Vancouver to do it. You can call the hockey shop and talk to a guy like Cam to walk you through it. That process and dialing it in, um, having a guy like that who understands the difference between, say, a recessed knee cradle and a non-recessed knee cradle. Uh, CCM, when, remember way back, and I've got a pad of his in my office. Uh, it was Reebok back then. It was, uh, I believe it was the premier. I can't remember which premier four, the Luongo. Yeah. The P the P four line. I got an autographed Luongo P four pad here in the office. And that was the line that changed everything for CCM. That was a line where instead of just this pad, they started unveiling all these different options, boot, sort of the depth of the boot break, uh, the, the way the sort of, whether it's shallow or deep in terms of how it fit over the foot. Uh, the leg channel options, the the knee cradle options, and all those things. Those are the kind of things where if you're not sure what the terminology means, a guy like Cam can help you walk through that process of ordering a custom set to make sure when it arrives, you're not going, this isn't what I thought it was. But I also give credit to CCM because their customizer right now, which is live, this is the first time. If you go on that customizer and there's a, when you're going through the order options and that's you know, whether you want a center blocker or an offset blocker, an intermediate palm and a full-size glove, whether you want a game ready, a pro or a practice glove in terms of what that padding looks like, there's a question mark, a little box with a question mark beside each one. Click on that question mark and a picture will pop up with explanations of what each feature is. So there's like six different knee cradle options. You push that question mark and you'll see a picture of what each one looks like. So just to make sure what you think in your mind is, example, a recessed knee cradle, you'll get to see it and be like, hey, that's the one that Carrie has. That's the one that I want. And there's no dumb questions there. It, call Cam, seriously, because you don't want to get something that, that you're not happy with. So so clarify that uh, with Cam at the, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Guys, just speaking of clarification, I think, I think we're making an assumption here, and we've got a lot of folks who've probably never gone through this process before, and you hear CCM has their customizer live, but but let's just be clear that uh, although the customizer runs through CCM, you, you do have to work with a retailer to make even the most custom order, um, un- unless your name is Freddie Anderson or, well, sorry, I shouldn't have used that as an example. There's the wrong company. But uh, <laughs> I think we should be clear that uh, that if you're, you want to make a custom order, um, you are working with CCM's customizer, but you do have to go through one of the local retailers okay. like the hockey shop. Uh, to actually place that order for you. And I, I think that's probably a good thing because they can, they can review it all with you as well. 
thehockeyshop.com and the Hockey Shop source for sports. And when you, when I was talking about the customizer, I was just talking colors. You, you guys took that a whole different angle. I I spent hours just on getting my colors figured out. I, I you mean you, you know how many different combinations you could possibly make between colors and features? That's a math exercise for somebody out there today. What are your colors? What do you guys What did you guys get? Uh, ours are all uh, green and black based here for for myself and our and my son because uh, mm-hmm. he plays in Nanaimo. Those are the local minor hockey colors, and Kevin got to take it a little bit wilder, I think. Yeah, we got what a little. We got a little, little. We got a little gray, sort of gray silver, a little, uh, a little bright blue, which is the in goal colors, and a little accent of green. So, um, why, why the green? Canucks? No, no, no. Um, I, I don't know why that's because the accent of green is. It's actually probably more Seahawks than it is, uh, than it is uh, Canucks. To be honest with you, uh, I, the the one thing I'm not complaining, but if CCM could add a neon green, that would be awesome. <laughs> little 12th man logo at the at the top as well absolutely uh listener questions we don't have time this week but uh, we do invite you to send it in there's a lot of people coming through and uh passing past our uh, our front doors and we're going to be able to connect with the, the various goaltenders in the national hockey league so listener questions send us those to podcast at inglemag.com right yeah, absolutely. And we don't have time to run it this week uh, because we talk too much and Eddie is awesome and went 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 pretty long himself. Um, but we do have one answered that already in the can for next week. Thomas Grice is going to walk us through the art of baiting shooters. Baiting shooters. That's a scary game that, that you play because if you're just not quite good enough, then you can look a little silly. Oh, but, and we uh, talked earlier about goalies changing things up to give shooters a different look. Is there anybody who changes it up more than Thomas Grice? This is going to be fun. Oh, yeah, it yeah, is. It, and he talks about that. In, speaking of changing it up, I believe it was Chris Letang in the shootout against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Never went down. Stayed on the skates, baby. Old school. And me and Hutch have seen that because we've, we've seen been it. a camp. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, we've been at camps with him in the summer, and he mixes it up as well as anyone. So he's a great guy, I figured, to talk to when we saw the question come through the desk about baiting shooters. If you have a question uh, to a National Hockey League goaltender or about goaltending in general, send us the email at podcast at ingoalmag.com. Our thanks to Robin Leonard for stopping by and uh, having a conversation with Kevin Woodley, as well as to our sponsor, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, thehockeyshop.com, and uh, and everybody out in Surrey, and uh, Eddie Lack, Eddie the Stork. I never got the answer to Eddie the Stork. Why, why is his uh, Instagram Eddie the Stork? Uh, the nickname was the Stork coming out of Sweden. It was probably okay. due to sort of length. I don't know if it had long anything to do with the Yeah, long and gangly. We'll just go with that. I don't know if it's. I don't know if he's got a long neck or something, but I... I I don't know. I, I really got to be careful. You heard him chirp me in the interview. Yeah, I can't yeah, I can't yeah. chirp back. He's got video of a golf swing of mine that might be like the worst you've ever seen. And he's kind of just holding it hostage. Well, you know what? I'm going to get in touch with him and, and make sure we release that with all the other stuff on social. Uh, thanks to uh, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchinson as from Ingle Magazine and uh, Ingle radio the podcast as well this has been a lot of fun we're back at it we're back rolling uh the new gear is out and uh we've got with uh, through with ccm and the other manufacturers are coming down the line so uh, thank you you guys and uh you the listener for 
logging on, subscribing, leave us your comments, your suggestions, and your feedback, uh, and your rating uh, on the uh, on the podcast as well. I'm Darren Millard. Keep your stick on the ice and your skates sharp. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast.